Hello and welcome to the Scribes Journal. Uh, this is a Scribe Solo podcast, which means that I am alone today. Unfortunately, the Violet Authors and I schedules didn't work out, so it is just me. This is Scribe Solo. Scribe, Scribe Solo. He's so alone. So Scribe Solo episodes are when the Violet Author and I are unable to record uh, during the week or our schedules are too busy to be able to edit the episodes that we did record and I just kind of pull them out and throw them out for the world to see. So if you're looking for the Violet Author, you can go ahead and skip this episode and go on to the next one where we will hopefully be back unless our schedules miss each other for two weeks in a row, in which case we're in serious trouble and this will go back to being the Scribes Journal not featuring the Violet Author. In reality, we are indeed missing the Violet Author this week, but I always try to make these things fun for when it's just me, so hopefully things don't get too crazy and hopefully things don't get too boring, but we'll see how it goes. Scribe solo episodes are also times for me to kind of pull out my own thoughts or look back into my own works, but today, instead of going back into my own sordid and strange history, we are going to run into the beauty of the interwebs in a site called squibbler.io. Our story opens deep in the interwebs, upon a quaint .io site by the name of Squibbler. An odd name, yes, but somehow fitting for the random prompt and plot generators that live within. But then the attention is caught by a prominent button. Warnings fly as words force themselves to be read. The most dangerous writing app. What could this be? Curiosity may have killed the cat, but this cannot go unanswered. The button is clicked, the sound of thunder echoes across the site, and as the dust clears, the description can be read. Terrible, dreadful, yet inescapable. Right for five minutes. But if you stop, you lose all your progress. Stuck in the moment, what will you do? A determined nod. Generate prompt. Time. So for today's Scribe Solo episode, I went on to squibbler.io, which is a prompt plot generator, and it's actually really fun. If you haven't had the chance to check it out, I, I recommend it. And I ended up doing their most dangerous writing app feature, which you have five minutes to write. You can set the time. I did it for five minutes because that's the, the preset. And you just write based off the prompt they give you. But if you stop writing, then everything you write gets erased. And it's terrifying, I will tell you, when you are writing and all of a sudden everything just starts blurring and is about to disappear. So it's not for the faint of heart, but I definitely recommend it. It was a really fun challenge overall because it forced you to keep writing. And normally I'm able to kind of like sit with a thing, with a thought for like a minute or so and figure out what I want to say. And I had no such luck this time. Instead, I was just kind of forced to speak word after word. I guess not speak. I was forced to write word after word after word after word until I finished five minutes. And yeah, the first, the first like minute and a half goes really fast. And then after that, it kind of starts to slow down. You start feeling like pace and you, you feel like you're in it. And then all of a sudden you hit the last 30 seconds or so. And it is the most stressful time that you will ever experience. So all that to say, I did squibbler.io's most dangerous rating app, and I did it five times. So that is subjugating myself to 25 of the most stressful minutes of my life. And it it's something. 
it's something. But what I'd like to do is I'm going to share each of those prompts with you. I might share some of my thoughts as I, I went into it. And I'm going to read that prompt for you. Well, except one, I don't have that prompt for stupid reasons, but I'm going to read that prompt for you. And then just kind of talk about where I was going with it. Uh, some of the literary, the literary stuff I was doing with it to kind of flesh out the writing process and specifically my writing process. So I think all around, this is going to be a really fun episode. So I really hope you do stick around. But again, if you are very much missing the violent author, then you do have my permission to skip the scribe solo episode. Seeing as you're still here, prompt number one was she wasn't happy about it, but she'd been recalled to life for a reason. And it is going into it. I kind of was a little nervous because I didn't know how to do the whole like reincarnation or like reanimation thing. Not that I haven't used it before, but like I just wasn't sure where they wanted me to go with it. And so I wasn't sure where I wanted to go with it. But more on that afterwards. So without further ado, here's prompt number one. She wasn't happy about it, but she'd been recalled to life for a reason. All around her, she could hear the sounds of cheering, of some kind of parade, a celebration of her re-life, a party all about her. She sat up and flipped her legs over the bed, even as people rushed to stop her. No, she snarled, standing to her feet. The gathered crowd cheered, of course they did, but she took no notice. She knew why they had brought her back, why her bones had been filled with life again. Her eyes shot to the heavens, where the symbol hung, mocking this was the reason this and this alone marked her inception and return to the world oh how she hated that symbol it was heavy dark filled with hatred and anger of the distant past but she remembered it too well her hand lifted and the crowd cheered louder she would bring them out from the night but at what cost she wondered she was noticing the pain in her lungs more prominently now there was a savage twist to it, like a hungry animal was clawing her every time she took a breath. This existence was painful, and would be painful for the entirety. But there was a challenge set before her. There was a victory that needed to take place. This was her calling, and this was her task. She lifted her opposite hand and took to the skies. She had been done, she thought. She had been at peace. But now, they called for her to stand again. Who are they, you ask? Who are these creatures that brought her back? The magicians who held her life and death in the palm of their hands. She could see them. And that's when I noticed that time had run out and so I stopped writing. Uh, before I go any further, I do want to point out that instead of writing prominently, as I was supposed to, I instead wrote the word prominently. So keep that in mind. When you're writing, sometimes you forget letters and it changes the word to a nonsense word because prominently means nothing unless it has something to do with a pom-pom. I don't know. Regardless. So originally I was, like I said, I was a little bit nervous, a little bit uh, trepidating. I don't know if that's a word or not, but it is now. Uh, trepidating going into this because it's, you know, reanimation, bringing people back to life, like not really my forte, not really the thing that I like to write about. I do sometimes use that as a, as a literary device to bring characters back from the dead. But uh, halfway through, I'd actually, I shouldn't say halfway through, probably in that last 30 seconds I was talking about, I decided that I want to take it into a more meta look at writing, specifically at um, comic tropes. So comics have this trope of like not being able to kill characters off and leaving them dead. They always come back. And 
characters being killed off and brought back, specifically significant others to the main heroes of the comics, it's called fridging. So it's like that character, the side character has been put in the fridge for a little bit and they'll be pulled out when it is appropriate. Typically fridging is done by killing or being stuck in permanent stasis or being zapped away to some other random dimension. And so this was going to kind of end up being a look at a more meta look at a character's fight against the author. And this author who is trying to, or I shouldn't say who's trying to, but this author who has the ability to kill them and bring them back to life when this character just wants to be done. So that was kind of the eventually where I was going to go with this. Literarily, as I'm as I was writing it, obviously like I was going more for the the anger of the moment of being in this like I am here and I will do my task, but I do not want to be here. And as soon as my task is done, I am going to take the fight to the person who actually needs to be fought against, which is the author of this story, right? So it was it was a fun write. I am very excited for where this could go. I am not very much excited at all for where this went. Just because there's not any real substance to, to this. As an as a establishing premise, like as setting the world and the story up, it's not bad. But I really, really would like to see where this could go. So this is something, out of the five, this is something that I would come back to. So I will put this in probably third place overall as for like where I would come back to yeah yeah on a, on a ranking of if I would come back to work on this again it probably would be third place and we'll get to why it won't it's not higher later on on to prompt number two which is the one that I don't have and the reason I don't have it is because uh, like I said it erases everything once you're done with it unless you finish the time in which case it keeps it but the website itself doesn't keep anything you have to copy and paste into another document and me being the genius sort that i am decided to immediately generate another prompt after, after i finished prompt two and not save the story that i had just written so unfortunately i don't have the ornaments prompt to read you but i will just kind of talk about it instead before i get into it ornaments is probably four on the list of if I will go back to it or not, because overall I was bored. Basically, the premise was that this woman was on her knees pulling out ornaments, and what I was doing with it in a literary sense was I was taking, I was using those ornaments to like bring back memories from her past, and I didn't really know where I was going with it, so I was just writing an object and attaching a memory. There was no plan, there was no there was no emotion attached to it. There were things like I referenced her late husband and how there was like this iridescent dolphin or whale or something. I don't have it, so I can't remember. There was an iridescent something. And it was uh, from a vacation that she and her husband had taken before he passed away. And so there's there was like some emotion in that aspect. But reading it, there was no connection to that emotion. Like me as a reader... I just kind of felt like, okay, this person is looking at ornaments. There's no real meat. There's nothing for me to sink my teeth into and say, okay, I can cheer for this character or I can't cheer for this character. So if I came back to it, and it is a four, so I probably won't, but should I come back to it, 
I would plan out the ornaments better and make the memories that they're attached to influence the story that is taking place. So it ornaments were set around Christmas time and which wasn't a stipulation. I just saw ornaments and so my brain went Christmas. That's just what happened. It's it's just what happens. So if I went back again, I would make those ornaments and the memories attached to them influence what's going on in the present day. Specifically like with the iridescent shark. I would give a reason why that was the one out of all of the things that were in the gift shop on that vacation. Why was that one the one that was chosen? And so an idea I had after the fact of writing this, an idea I had was maybe that shark was her husband's favorite, but it wasn't necessarily hers. Well, coming back to the present day, she's now trying to figure out what she wants to make for Christmas dinner. And she decides that instead of making her favorite dish, she's going to make her husband's favorite dish, even though he's no longer there, but she's going to make his favorite dish so she can kind of remember him and share in another memory of him during Christmas time. And so that would be a way where her memory of this shark that wasn't her favorite, but it was her husband's favorite, so they got it, influences her current state or her, her current story. And I don't really know where I would build that into a story per se, which is why it's four on the list of if I'll ever come back to it. But I would be interested to kind of like pursue that track and see what other memories I could pull up and and play in into this too. So that was ornaments. Like I said, it's a four on the list. There just wasn't a whole lot of connection, not a whole lot of meat. When I write, I like to write characters that people can relate to or that people find interesting, even if they don't like relate to on a personal level that they find interesting. And I felt like this was a very flat character, not a whole lot of interest there. So, yeah. Prompt number two, ornaments. Moving on, prompt number three. As she stopped to catch her breath, she looked back. It was a peaceful scene, the trail through the park. The wind blew the willow tree like lungs inhaling and exhaling the world. A couple sat underneath it, held within the swaying branches and each other's arms. Janet had been jogging for the past 30 minutes, but this was her last stop, a bridge over a dry stream bed, the bottom pockmarked with stones and the last vestiges of the spring's current. She looked down, examining the sight she had seen countless times before. How strange the way she recognized, yet did not, the view below her. If she attempted to draw it from memory, she would not be able to. But if someone showed her a picture, she would know it, and be able to point out the inaccuracies. Her running partner was passing the willow tree now, heaving breaths as she caught up. Good run, Janet said, giving her a small smile. Samantha smiled back, breathlessly. You, you left me behind, she gasped. I went my usual pace, Janet returned. You just couldn't keep up. I could have kept up if you hadn't run so fast, Samantha said. That's the whole point, isn't it? Janet asked. To run fast? No. It's a light jog, Sam said. You're trying to beat Usain Bolt or something. Their jog, and ensuing argument, was a Saturday morning tradition. Busy mothers, they took the opportunity of their respective husbands. This is my number five. Without a doubt, this is the least likely for me to come back. And the reason for that is this is slice of life. The reason I say this is slice of life and the reason I immediately went for slice of life was because as she stopped to catch her breath, she looked back. It could be adventurous. It could be like she's on a mountainside being chased by someone. It could be that. But 
just just the way it was written and it, it laid there in the the generated box it didn't feel like a it didn't feel like an adventure to me it felt like someone who was out for a morning run and was just looking behind them and so that's just where i went with it the reason it's my number five is like ornaments this one didn't have any real uh, connection again like janet is not a common name anymore so there's not even like a, a common name for someone to to connect with samantha is is a common name there's a little bit more of a classical connection um samantha kind of has a, an ageless quality like you could write someone write about someone in the 1940s who's called samantha and no one would bat an eyelid and you could write about someone named samantha in the 2000s and again like everyone samantha just has kind of this timeless quality janet not so much so from the get-go i don't know why i wrote janet i was just writing for my life so i did what i could and this is what we ended up with janet the most interesting thing about this prompt and my response to it is actually the willow tree and the bridge um so that's the setting because this setting is something that's very near and dear to my heart. There's actually a willow tree in my hometown that is in a park right next to a bridge, and it is a willow tree that my wife and I would frequent quite often. And it's a place of peace and a place of enjoyment for me. So that's that's something really interesting because in this moment, you know, this is my third one. So this is 15 minutes, more than 15 minutes into writing these rather stressful prompts, my mind immediately goes to something that I know and that is peaceful and that I love. We write to those three things most often. That's why I write fantasy. Fantasy is my escapism reality. So when I want to read something and kind of get away from the world, I read fantasy. And when I want to write something and get away from the world, I write fantasy. So we write what we know and we write what we love characters a lot of times end up looking like ourselves because that's who we know we can do character flaws based on ourselves because that's just who we know uh, so a lot of young authors myself included will write stories with characters who will look a lot like them and that's not a bad thing it's just is a thing but a more experienced i would even go so far as to say a better writer will write characters that look nothing like them and will write them really well because they have learned to get out of their own skin so to speak so to use a slightly less weird idea in most of my fantasy worlds i write things that look a lot like my home of central new york a lot of hills some mountains forests i don't do very much with like deserts or plains you know that's kind of the the world that i grew up in and so that's the world that i'm most comfortable writing in the difference is in the stories that i'm now working towards i'm writing a lot of like urban fantasy now urban fantasy is typically more modern so in the the series that i'm working on most recently my setting is very different than what i'm i'm used to writing in this the books that the eight book cycle that i keep talking about wanting to write and i i probably will someday my world's changed from looking pretty much the same across the board to one of them is now an island an island coastal setting another one is one that the closest american approximation i can give is like colorado it's very dry and rocky and dusty 
I have not only learned how to write outside of what I know and my home, but I've gone outside and of my home. So like I can write a setting that looks like Colorado better because I have been to Colorado. I can write a setting that looks like New Mexico because I've driven through New Mexico. I can write a setting that's set on a coastal island because I've been to the coast. I, I don't know if I've been to a coastal island, but I've been to the coast. So I can write those kinds of things. And then second, I've gotten more experiences through college. Like there's college courses that greatly influence my writings of culture, of geography, and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, instead of me saying, get out of your skin and write something you don't know, I would say, get out of your hometown and write something you don't know. You'll hear the advice that you can't write what you don't know. And it's true, at least for the most part. In reality, you can write what you don't know. It's just significantly harder because you don't know it. And the truth is, you can try, and sometimes you can fake it. <laughs> and sometimes what you fake looks really good. So my point is, if you are struggling to write something that isn't you, whether it's you're trying not to write your hometown, or your favorite escapism fantasy, or write a character that isn't you, I would say open geoguesser.com. And wherever you get placed, write a story set in that place. And that immediately gets you out of your spot, out of your favorite location. Unless, you know, GeoGuessr pops you right in front of your house. But now all of a sudden you're kind of forced to like write something that's that you might not be used to. And generate a character, a random character, and give them a random flaw. And write a story based around that flaw, based in this random setting. So that would be my, my challenge to you, if that's something that you're looking for. In the meantime... I'm going to move past prompt number three, because like I said, I didn't like it. I don't write slice of life. That is also something that is very uncommon for me. So if I went back to this, I would just figure out a, a slice of life plot because I had no plot going into this. I just, I had a scene, which for five minutes, all you need is a scene, but to come back to something, you need a plot. So prompt number three, morning jog, you are number five on my list of possible things that I would come back to. Moving on. Prompt number four. She clung onto the piece of driftwood, praying for daylight. Of course the sun wouldn't shine. The world stayed dark for all of her prayers. Up, down, the surging ocean wrapped around her like an octopus, preparing to drag her down to the depths. Her grave would be with the rest of the sailors lost to the locker of Davy Jones. The wind was a mocking laugh, spraying her with the salt from the water, letting her taste fresh rain, but pulling away the sweet taste just as it came. If she could scream, she would have, but it was dark and she was alone, swept along by the relentless current. If light does not come, she mumbled in her mind, then let darkness take me. Just let me sink under the waves and let me be forgotten. That's all she was. A ship, wrecked unseen, hidden beneath layers of ocean water. Invisible, forgotten in the annals of history. She was not the Titanic, not the Luciana. No one would remember her name when she finally disappeared beneath the clinging surface of the waves. She would be consigned to melting amid the water. She would disintegrate, like wood left in salt water for too long. There was no escape. She should just give in. A hand touched hers. It gripped the wood alongside her, warm and untouched by the chill of the water. Look up, a strong voice said. A warm voice, like a beam of sunlight. Help was there. On my imaginary list of things that I might possibly come back to, this is probably number one, because I absolutely love this prompt. 
first of all, there's just immediately like action, excitement, adventure. There's something that immediately draws you in from this scene, from the get-go. It's, you know, she clung onto the piece of driftwood. Of, of course, the sun wouldn't shine. The world stayed dark for all of her prayers. Like, immediately, you're just drawn in. The prompt was just so riveting. As soon as I saw it, I was excited to write. And my brain just started spinning with, like, ideas of, is this person drowning? Is this person, what just happened? Like, what shipwreck just happened? Where is this person coming from? Where is this person trying to go? Is this going to be immediately, like, just surviving this? Is it going to be a desert island story? And I'll, I'll tell you where I was kind of heading in a second. But this is... Like I said, this is pretty easily my number one for coming back to. The other reason is in writing it, I just, um, like, words just flowed off like that. There was no stopping them. They just, they came kind of like a a rushing torrent, I guess you might say. And the the lyricalness of the, the writing the prompt was so easy and so clear. I like writing things that are really pretty to read and listen to. Like, the wind was a mocking laugh, spraying her with salt from the water, letting her taste the fresh rain, but pulling the sweet taste away just as it came. There's a sing-song to that that I love being able to put in, and I have loved being able to put that in even more ever since recording an episode called strike a prose so if you have skipped that one because you're thinking like poetry that's going to be boring don't skip it go back listen to it you'll just appreciate descriptions and poetic descriptions a whole lot more so point being the, the writing of this and that side of it came so naturally and so easy that i just had i just i, I loved it the five minutes flew by even the last 30 seconds felt like no problem and somewhere in between minute two and a half, minute three and a half, probably closer to the last minute and a half overall, I decided to go with this entire scene that you're reading as being an analogy for depression. And there's a lot of reasons for that. One, September being National Suicide Awareness Month and and kind of wanting to get into the thought processes of someone struggling with depression without making it clear that I was getting into the thought processes of someone struggling with depression. But two, because the prompt had already given me the water analogy, so I kind of had the the water premise, so I kind of had to go from there and make the jump from water to, to an emotion. But the reason I want to come back to this is because of a book called Challenger Deep, which is by Neil Schusterman. Challenger Deep is the, it won an award. I forget which award it is, so I apologize, but it is very well deserving of the award that it won. This book goes into the mind of a patient with schizophrenia through the perspective of him imagining himself going down into the deepest part of the ocean. I can't remember if it's the Mariana or Marianas Trench, so I'm just going to give up on which one and say the deepest part of the ocean. Going down to the deepest part of the ocean in a submarine. And the reason that's interesting is because it keeps flipping between his perspective of being in the submarine and his perspective of being a patient. And the the seamlessness of that is really great because at first you're not quite sure what's going on. And then as the book continues, more gets revealed. So I would love to go back and do something similar with this one. 
because I, like I said, I just love the imagery of this and being able to create imagery for things that we feel is really powerful. When you get, when you can see a vision in your mind of an emotion that you feel, you're able to connect to that emotion in a completely different way. And that's why I love writing characters and scenes that make characters grapple with emotions, because I can see these emotions and these things play out on a scale that I might not be able to see when they're just working at my own system. So I would love to come back to this and write something based off of it, whether a short story or a book. I, I probably wouldn't write a book. I probably would write a short story. And before people come and say that I am just copying Challenger Deep or copying the premise and I'm not being original, what I would say to you is that it is in fact original and unique and different. And maybe this has been done before and I just haven't seen it. I think there is a very great place to see inspiration and take inspiration from other books that you love and to want to do something similar or want to go a different route than what the author did. There's great value in that. And people might call you for not being unoriginal, but I would just say that you're being inspired and inspiration comes from everywhere. So if you're inspired by something that someone wrote, don't give up on that. Like lean into that, draw from whatever that is for your inspiration and keep writing. So yeah, that was that. And I do want to add, if you are someone who is going through feelings of depression or anything more serious or anything you know that might seem more minor and you need someone to talk to or you think you need someone to talk to, reach out and talk to someone because your thoughts and your feelings do matter. Your thoughts and your feelings are important and deserve to be heard and you deserve to be heard. So that would be my that would be my small encouragement to you if you're someone who's who's going through that right now. And I don't want to I don't want to stay in that place for too long. Um so that's my statement and we are going to move on. Prompt number 5. Actually, before we get to prompt number 5, I just want to say something. Uh, for four of these prompts, I got a female pronoun when I generated the prompt. If you've noticed that every single one has been a female of some kind, which is fine. However, I was a little confused as to why all of the prompts seemed to be generated female. And so when I hit prompt number five, you might say that I was slightly surprised to see a female pronoun again. And quite frankly, I don't remember what it was, but the prompt just did not excite me at all, like less than the jogging one. So I decided to drop it and I refreshed it again. And when I refreshed it, it was uh, it was a it was a male pronoun, and I was like, well, I guess I can't pass this one up, so I kept it. And prompt number five starts: To his horror, he realized he'd been this way before. To his horror, he realized he'd been this way before. That statue of the man holding a giant hammer was too familiar. Lost little boy, came the quiet whisper behind him. There was no time. Jonah dashed forward. Maybe he had been this way before, but it was too late to stop. There was only a head, only forward. Then, all too late, he remembered. This path did not lead anywhere. It was a dead end, a close access point. 
His heart filled with dread, and he found himself sinking into despair. Don't cry, Jonah, the whisper said. Just give up, and I'll be here to collect the things that remain. I'll clean up your mess, don't worry. Running was no longer an option. Fighting was the only way. Jonah fought for sensible thought, searching for something he could use to protect himself. Naturally, the cold stone walls stared at him blankly, giving him no clues or ideas. The tall figure stepped out from behind the corner. You shouldn't have let me out, it said, the silky voice threatening to muffle him forever. If I was still in my cage, you wouldn't have this hanging over your head. The Sword of Damocles. That was what Jack had warned against when Jonah had suggested this course of action. It's a two-edged sword, and it will hang over your head until your reckoning comes. But Jonah had made his decision, and he had to hold it up. He pulled his backpack off his back, holding it like he was going to use it. And if you've been keeping track, that is number two on my possible list of coming back to. You might ask, why is that one number two out of all of the others? Well, one, because it's the only number that's left. And two, it's because this is actually characters that I've used before. So Jacob Albright is not Jacob, Jonah. I know my characters' names. Jonah Albright is a character from a novel I was working on called House of Heroes. Two things of interesting to note here. House of Heroes is actually the first novel I was going to write for NaNoWriMo, and I say going to because partway through the first couple weeks, I may or may not have hit the wrong button and deleted all of my work on said novel, thereby losing it all and proceeding to pick up on an entirely different idea that I had started or that I had come up with two days before (laughs) NaNoWriMo started called Majors and Minors. So, yeah. Anyway. In this world, basically, all of the heroes of fable and fairy tales are living in a house called the House of Heroes. Shocking, I know. And stay there until they are needed by our world. And someone is in charge of keeping their stories and kind of curating them. And that person it falls to is Jonah Albright. And long story short, there is also a jail full of the villains from those stories and a jailer the jailer has gone evil is trying to release evil all of that good juvenile ya tropes and i never got around to finishing it this probably would be in the second book maybe in the first one but i feel like this would probably end up happening in a in a second book where he has defeated the jailer and is now dealing with the consequences of some decision of his which would be this this creature, this figure, whatever it is. So it mentions Jack. Jack is kind of the quintessential leader of the heroes. He is the the essence of a hero. Stories like Jack the Giant Slayer and Jack and the Beanstalk and all the such are named after Jack. And he's a quiet leader, but he leads in his own quiet way. Regardless, Jack is one of my favorite characters to write because he has this kind of like ancient air of history to him and it would it would be fun to come back to this and have them kind of at odds where Jack recommends not to do something and 
Jonah does it anyway. And now Jonah has to deal with the consequences of his actions. I just think that would be fun. So it's my second on the list because I probably will eventually come back to House of Heroes. And when I do, I might pull out this aged document and draw it out to use as inspiration for a further, larger, more intriguing scene than this brief one-shot that you are getting to experience tonight. So going into it immediately, like, so to his horror, he realized he'd been this way before. Immediately you're thinking you're going to be working with something like suspense. And and the suspense, suspense in this one is different than suspense in the first. So in our first prompt, we had the suspense of like, oh, why is this woman being brought back? Why is all these people cheering for her? And I had a direction that I was going to go with that, that I kind of veered away from. And, and that kind of suspense of like the, the unknown threat where you as the reader don't know what the threat is, but she as the character does and is kind of grappling with it is one kind of suspense. And it's kind of a detached suspense because you don't feel it in the same way that the the character does. In this one though, the danger is a little bit more immediate. And we're gonna get we're gonna get into suspense and the the use and the function of suspense a little bit more in detail in, in later episodes. But this one is the suspense of a very present danger of a I need to get out of this right now. And the way this ends, there is no resolution. Obviously Jonah being a main character probably isn't going to die i cannot promise that because people die sometimes and unlike other authors i don't always bring them back so yeah i i think that this one as a short one shot of just kind of like suspense and like what's going to happen next works pretty well it's 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 formulaic i guess i would say where uh running was no longer an option fighting was the only way there's not a whole lot of substance here because you don't know anything about the character and don't know anything about the threat. And if I was to come back to this, if and when I come back to this, being able to fill in uh, around this scene and fill in some of the context of where they are and who Jonah is and who this thing is that cha- that's chasing him would be really, really cool because it's going to make the character, not the character, it's going to make the reader a lot more engaged with, with this scene. The other thing that I want to mention here with this one another like nuts and bolts method of creating suspense is the way it's written. There's a lot of short, short, long sentence structure. So like the like the section I just read, running was lo- no longer an option. Fighting was the only way. Both short sentences. And then it says, Jonah fought for a sensible thought, searching for something he could use to protect himself. And that's a longer phrase. And that kind of, of pacing sentence structure wise also creates a sense of hurriedness, rushness, stress, because that means that the character they're reading about is thinking in these short, quick sentences and isn't thinking in full thought out ideas. So yeah, so that's another function, not a function, that's another way to visibly and thematically, not thematically, grammatically, I guess, to visibly and grammatically create suspense in a way that's interesting and what's the word I want? A way that's interesting and engaging for the for the reader. So hopefully you were engaged while listening to it. You can also read all of these again in the attached scribes notes link 
there's a PDF version of it, and you're more than welcome to, to take that and read it. If you do, you'll notice that this is includes a couple British spellings, and that's because the prompts themselves included British spellings, and so I just happened to borrow some of those. Doesn't mean they're wrong, just means I'm in the wrong country currently. And that's pretty much all we have for this episode of Scribe Solo. Sorry, this episode of The Scribe's Journal, Scribe Solo. I hope you enjoyed it. If you didn't, please let me know and I won't ever do it again. But if you did enjoy it, let me know and I'll keep making these little vignettes in order to have something in the bank should the Violet author and I be unable to record together. Uh, We will be back next week with a very, very fun episode. And of course, we have a lot of amazing stuff planned for the rest of this fall coming into October and to November. What that might be exactly, you will have to continue to listen and find out. But suffice it to say, we are both very excited and will announce it in full next week. Until then, wander well.